everybody, it's Pastor Chad, and today is Sunday, April 11th, 2021. Welcome to The Way Radio Live. Uh, today's message is entitled, Grace and Righteousness. A topic I love preaching on is the imputed righteousness of Christ, and that's what we're going to get into today, and I pray that it's a blessing to everyone that uh, is able to hear this. Um, so let's pray, and we will get into today's message. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you once again uh, that we're able to gather here and to learn of you, to learn of your word, to hear the gospel. And Lord, I just ask that you would uh, bless your word today, that it would go forth powerfully, that it would touch the hearts of believers, provide comfort, encouragement, and strength for them and for those that don't know you, Lord, that it would uh, pierce their hearts and enable them, to, enable them to see the truth, the amazing light of your truth in the midst of the darkness of this world. Uh, Lord, we just thank you, and we pray that you're honored and glorified today. In Jesus' name, amen. Gracious, graciousness and grace and righteousness, sorry, based on Romans 5.17. So if you'd like, you can either follow along on the screen or if you have your Bibles, Open them up to the book of Romans, and we're going to focus on Romans chapter 5, verse 17 today. I'm going to put that up on the screen. Romans 5, 17 says, For if because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Now, the one man that it's talking about where it says, because of one man's trespass, trespass, death reigned through that one man. It's speaking of Adam. Because of Adam's trespass, humanity fell into sin and death came in through sin. So death has reigned through the one man's trespass, referring to Adam. But much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. So obviously a very important message for us to consider today. And what I'm going to do is as we go through this message, I want to address the following questions. First one is, what can we take to the cross? What do we have to offer God at Calvary? Second question, do we develop our own righteousness as we are sanctified in our Christian walk? Is our righteousness something that we can obtain on our own and that once we've obtained it, we can improve on it and increase our righteousness as we're sanctified in our Christian walk with Christ? When we sin or are unfaithful, do we affect the righteousness that saves us? Do we chip away at or jeopardize the integrity of the righteousness of Jesus Christ. So the crux of that question is basically, can we damage the righteousness that we're saved by in Jesus Christ, or can we corrupt the righteousness that we're saved with in Jesus Christ? The reason these questions are so important is because there's, it's actually something that I come across quite often in ministry, and especially through the Recovery Reformation ministry, is people who uh, believe that they are in Christ and may very well be in Christ, 
uh, may have had a time of backsliding and sinful living, and they think because of that, they are no longer in Christ and they have been separated from Christ, or they've cheapened their, their, their relationship with Christ. So it's very important to understand what the imputed righteousness of Christ really is all about. It seems that a true understanding of imputation, God's gift of righteousness, could eliminate so much of the pain, the suffering, uh, and confusion, and would also eliminate so much of the error that permeates much of the modern church. So we're going to talk about works and imputed righteousness, law and grace, and see how those contrast and the difference between them and how it's very uh, it can be very destructive or very detrimental to confuse works and imputed righteousness and law and grace. Charles Spurgeon has a great quote along these lines. He says, he who knows the difference and always remembers the essential difference between law and grace has grasped the essence of theology. He is not far from understanding the gospel theme in all its ramifications, its outlets and its branches who can properly tell the difference between law and grace. So Spurgeon was basically saying that if you can understand God's law and God's grace together and how they work together, you are very far along on the path from having a very good, deep, true understanding of Christian theology and the Christian gospel message. Now, one point I want to make here is that there are two ways to heaven. We often hear, and, and you'll see that I'm being a bit facetious when I make this point, but there are two ways to heaven. The first one is you can obey God's law perfectly. The second one is you can trust in the imputed righteousness of Jesus Christ. Obviously, the first point that I made is humanly impossible. It is impossible for us to obey God's law perfectly. So the first way to heaven is basically closed to humanity because we are born dead in our sins and trespasses, in rebellion against God, and until we are able to have that sin washed clean and the debt for that sin eliminated, we cannot be reconciled to God. So really the only way to heaven out of those two that remains to us is to trust in the imputed righteousness of Jesus Christ. Now, what does imputation mean? Imputation means to reckon something to someone else. If I was to give you a definition of it, it means to reckon something to someone else. To reckon to someone the blessing, the curse, the debt, etc. of another person. To take something that one person possesses and to transfer it to someone else and to put it on them. Now notice that imputation can be both positive and negative. It can be a blessing or a curse, a debt or a payment. Adam's sin was imputed to all mankind. Adam represented humanity in what we call federal headship. When Adam fell, that federal rep the representation of that federal headship affected all of mankind from that point forward. That corruption corrupted the entire human race. You see? So Adam's sin was imputed to all mankind. What Adam had was imputed to all mankind. On the other hand, Christ's righteousness is imputed to believers. Those that Christ came to save and who he died for on the cross and whose sins he atoned for, his righteousness is imputed to them. Look at Romans 5, 17 through 21. 
It says, for if by the transgression of the one, death reigned through the one, meaning Adam, much more those who receive the abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one, Jesus Christ. So then as through one transgression, there resulted condemnation to all men, meaning Adam's transgression, even so through one act of righteousness, there resulted justification of life to all men. So through Adam's transgression, there resulted condemnation. Through Christ's act of perfect righteousness, there resulted justification. For as through the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners, even so through the obedience of the one, the many will be made righteous. The law came in so that the transgression would increase. But where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. Now you're starting to see here a little bit of why I talked about law and imputed righteousness, law and grace. The law came in so that the transgression would increase. The law exposes our sin, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. So that as sin reigned in death, even so grace would reign through righteousness to eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Now, what you have to understand here is that the breaking of God's law is sin. Look at uh, 1 John 3, 4. Everyone who practices sin also practices lawlessness, and sin is lawlessness. So what we're talking about here is the fact that there's a legal aspect to consider. We're talking about a legal issue here. That's why it's so important to understand the righteousness of God, the justification of God. We're dealing with a legal issue because God's law has been broken. And if God just allows his law to be broken without any debt being paid for breaking that law, for any penalty being paid, well, then now God is not just. He is not a just God. So in order for him because God is perfect and holy, whenever his law is broken, there has to be a penalty paid for that breaking of his law. So there's a legal aspect here for us to consider. Because sin is the breaking of God's law, it becomes a legal debt. Look at Matthew 6, 12. And forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. That's from the Lord's Prayer. Believers are justified before God legally because Jesus paid our legal debt for sin and his righteousness was imputed to us. So what we're talking about here is Christ overcoming for us what is called in theology the great dilemma. And that great dilemma is the fact that we have sinned before a perfect, holy, and infinite God. How can a fallen, sinful, finite creature ever atone for sins and rebellion that has been committed against a perfect, holy, an eternal God. It's an impossible situation. But God, because he is so loving and he is so gracious, provided the way for us to have that sin debt wiped out. And that was done through his son, Jesus Christ, who took our sin debts upon himself and paid it for us, bore the penalty of it for us. Believers are justified before God legally because Jesus paid our legal debt for sin and his righteousness was imputed to us. So he paid the debt. There was no longer a penalty that was due 
because Christ had paid it, and because of his perfect obedience and the fact that he was a perfect sacrifice, in no way deserving of that debt, his righteousness is beyond question, completely unstained and perfect, and he imputed that righteousness to us. Colossians 2, 13 through 14 says, And you, who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, meaning Christ, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. What a visual that is. He set aside the debt that we owed for our sins, and he nailed it to the cross by having his, his own body nailed to the cross. What an amazing picture that is. Look at John 14, 6. I mention this verse all the time. Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me, not by or through any righteousness or merit of our own, but by and through the righteousness of Jesus Christ that he has given and he has imputed to us. So Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Now, that's used quite often to call out false teachings that may claim that there's another way to God or there's multiple ways to God or every or, or universalism. Everyone's going to be reconciled to God eventually. Obviously, that verse is very powerful in refuting those false beliefs or those false teachings because Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. But that also applies to us personally. We have to understand that there's nothing we can do to earn or to make our way or to, or to clean up ourselves or, or, or to make ourselves presentable and reconciled to God. It can only be done through the person and work of Jesus Christ. So let's look at this first question. What can we take to the cross? And again, let's use a visual. You are a sinner. You know that you are dead in your sins and trespasses. You're living a life of condemnation. And after this life ends, you will have to deal with that condemnation and the sentence that you were under because you are carrying that sin debt upon you still. So if you're in that situation and you realize that Christ is the only one that can save you and that gospel message through the power of the Holy Spirit is bringing you to the cross of to the cross of Christ to Calvary what can you take to the cross with you Our sins were put on Christ and imputed to him on the cross where he became sin on our behalf the answer to that question is we can take nothing but our sin. The only thing that we bring to the, to the cross is sin. There is nothing that we can bring other than sin because there's nothing that we have that can add to what Christ has done for us or decrease the value of what Christ has done for us. It is perfect. When Christ said it is finished on the cross, it means the work had been done the debt had been settled, and it was a perfect, holy, and eternal sacrifice, and there's nothing we can do to add to it. So the answer to that question is the only thing we can bring to the cross that we can bring to Calvary is our sin. Again, our sins were put on Christ, imputed to him on the cross, where he became sin on our behalf. Look at 2 Corinthians 2, 5, 521. He made him who knew no sin 
to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. That is a beautiful picture of imputation. He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf. Our sin was imputed to him so that we might become the righteousness of God in him because Christ's righteousness is imputed to believers. Christ died with our sins. Look at Isaiah 53, 4 through 6. Surely our griefs he himself bore and our sorrows he carried. Yet we ourselves esteemed him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. But he was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastening for our well-being fell upon him. And by his scourging, we are healed. All of us like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. But the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on him. Therefore, our sins are forgiven in Jesus Christ. All that we can take to the cross is our sin. Our sins were imputed to or they were given to Jesus on the cross. In a sense, when Jesus died on the cross, our sins died with him. He paid our legal debt on the cross. This is why he had victory over death. Legal debts can be transferred. Our sin debt was transferred to Jesus who bore our sins in his body on the cross. Look at 1 Peter 2.24. And he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. For by his wounds you were healed. Now remember that as we get into some more of this message in a few minutes. So that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. For by his wounds you were healed. What's that talking about? Repentance. If you die to your sin and you live to righteousness, that is repenting and turning away from a life of sin and seeking a life of righteousness in Jesus Christ. Imputation is the means of our salvation. Very important to understand. Our sins were imputed to Christ and his righteousness was imputed to us. Christ's righteousness through his perfect obedience to the Father in his complete obedience to the law is imputed, given to us. Now, this is the gift of God's grace that we place, place our faith and our trust in. This is another very important point to understand. When you place your faith and your trust in Jesus Christ, and you realize that he is the only one that can save you, you are placing your faith and trust in the fact that in Jesus Christ, he is blessing you with his imputed righteousness. He is covering you with his perfect righteousness and he has washed away your sins because of what he did on the cross for us. So the only way you can be saved is to place your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, trusting that his righteousness is what's saving you. You see? Very important to understand. That's the object of our faith and our trust. Next question. Do we develop our own righteousness as we are sanctified in our Christian walk? So what I'm talking about is, do we improve upon or do we increase our righteousness as we as we repent and we move further away from a life of sin and we become more and more conformed to the image of Christ and we seek to live as he lived? Through faith, we are justified and have a righteousness that is not our own. Again, I'm going to state that. Through faith... We are justified and have a righteousness that is not our own. 
Look at Philippians 3.9. This will help answer this question. And may be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith. Now, why does Paul say, not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law? Because every person has broken the law. We cannot obtain righteousness from the law because when you have broken even one letter of God's law, you've broken the whole thing. So it is impossible for us to obtain any righteous standing before God through his law. But Christ fulfilled God's law perfectly. Therefore, he is perfect righteousness. And so the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith is having is through the faith and the trust that we place in Jesus Christ. We never develop any righteousness of our own. We walk by faith, trusting in the righteousness of Jesus Christ and his faithfulness. So any righteousness that we may exhibit in our lives, and if we feel like we are growing in righteousness as we, as we walk more and more with Christ and we mature in our Christian faith, we are not obtaining any more of our own righteousness. What we are doing is we are being blessed with a greater understanding of the righteousness that we are blessed with in Jesus Christ. Look at Romans 1.17. For in it, the gospel, the righteousness of God, is revealed from faith to faith as it is written, but the righteous man shall live by faith. So we can never obtain more righteousness other than what the Lord has given us. As we grow in him, we will, we will, experience more and more of God's grace and a greater understanding of the profundity and the vastness of the righteousness that we are blessed with in Christ. Hopefully that makes sense. By faith, we become conformed more and more to the image of Jesus Christ by his grace in his righteousness. As we mature, our faith is strengthened, our belief is deepened, our trust in the imputed righteousness of Jesus Christ is solidified. You see, the longer we walk with Christ, the more firmly we are established on the rock that he is. Look at 2 Corinthians 3.18. But we all with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror, the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as from the Lord, the Spirit. So the longer we walk with Christ, the more we grow in Christ, the more we mature in our Christian walk, we are simply becoming more like Christ, being more and more conformed to him, to his image. So the answer to this question, do we develop our own righteousness as we are sanctified in our Christian walk? The answer is obviously no. Christian maturity is becoming less as Christ becomes more. And as Christ becomes more, we become more in him. We can never develop our own righteousness. We increase, Christ, in, Christ, we decrease, Christ increases the longer that we walk with him. Now, this is where we run into one of these Christian paradoxes that is often difficult for the human mind to comprehend or, or even to accept. And that paradox is that as we become less, as Christ becomes more, we become more of the true individual that God created us to be. See, the paradox is that as we become less and Christ becomes more in us, we actually are becoming more because we are now becoming more of who God originally created us to be. 
And what you have to understand here is that there is no true individual outside of Jesus Christ. The worldly individual is to varying degrees a facade. People spend their lives striving to identify themselves as an individual standing apart from the crowd. And folks, if you want to see how absurd that is, just look at what's going on in the world. Look at the modern music industry, at the film industry. Look at Hollywood. People making careers out of trying to appear more individualistic than the next person. And all it is is they're just putting on this veneer or this facade that's artificial and not real in order to try to make themselves stand apart more. But that is not true individualism. It's based on lies. And that is just the way it is. If you are not in Christ, you never will be the true individual that God created you to be. You can only be that true individual if you're in Jesus Christ. So again, that paradox is as we decrease and Christ increases in us, we actually are increasing and becoming more than we would have ever been before we came to Christ. That's just one of those amazing, beautiful, and blessed Christian paradoxes. The next question, and this one is very important. This is where a lot of people really suffer um, in the modern church. And like I said, I, I get confronted with this by many people through the recovery reformation industry. <laughs> Excuse me. When we, are, when we sin or we are unfaithful, do we affect the righteousness that saves us? Do we chip away at or jeopardize the integrity of the righteousness that we're saved with in Jesus Christ? So is this not an extremely important question for an age so consumed with humanism? Does not the modern church so focused on the humanistic gospel of salvation by works, based on the acceptance of God by man and the merit of man to make such a choice to accept, place an unbearable burden of self-righteousness on people's shoulders? That was a bit of a convoluted sentence, but the point I'm trying to get across there is we live in an age when so much of the Christian church, often without even realizing that they're doing it, is telling people that you've got to do works to be saved. You have to do this. You have to do that. You have to get cleaned up before you can come to God. And this humanistic gospel of salvation by works is based on the acceptance of God by man. What I'm talking about there is Again, the majority of the modern church is very much involved in what I call church, the business of church, where they're trying to take God, take Christ, take the gospel, package it in a way that's palatable and acceptable to the human uh, mind, the humanistic mind, to the worldly mind, so that people will accept it. People will accept Christ because he has been presented in a way that's pleasing to worldly tastes. You see? And then when you accept that false gospel, that false Christ, in order to maintain that false salvation, you automatically become drawn into a system of works to maintain what you think you're believing in, which is totally false. So it places an unbearable burden on people's shoulders. And you see this a lot, especially, you know, where we live in Idaho, there's a lot of Mormonism. And, and one thing you notice in many Mormons is, is this, this sort of worn down type of uh, feel that you get from them. Because there's so much of guilt 
because they feel like they have not done enough work. They have not atoned for enough of their sins. They don't know if they're saved. Many Mormons uh, will answer the question differently. If you died right now, do you know if you're going to go to heaven, depending on where their life's at at that time? Where a true Christian can say, I do because I place my faith and my trust in Jesus Christ and the righteousness that he has closed me with, because, clothed, closed me, clothed me with because of what he did for me on the cross. You see, we stand in Christ, not any way in our own works. Now, isn't it also interesting how often uh, I often hear in Amer from American Christians and they'll say, you just have to have faith. People are going through struggles. They're dealing with issues. They're in a bad spot. And American Christians quite often will say, you just have to have faith. But then with all my my traveling, I've heard people, and often in third world countries, people that are very poor, they'll say the Lord God is faithful. Now look at the difference of, in that. There's a radical difference between those two statements. If someone is suffering and lost and in a bad place in their life and trying to find a way out, and you say you just have to have faith, what does that mean? That means they have to try to develop something that they don't uh, that you believe they don't obviously have at that point. Either they don't have faith or they don't have enough faith, but they've got to do something to get more faith. But the true biblical thing to say to them is the second point that I made: the Lord God is faithful. That's where comfort lies. See, when you realize that God is faithful, regardless of what you're going through, regardless of your situations and circumstances, that's when your faith will start increasing. Because our faith increases when we understand that God is faithful. We change daily. We might have a different outlook multiple times a day. Our faith may be up and down like a roller coaster. Who knows? We are so fickle being in our human flesh still. But God's is faithful and his faith never changes. That's where our strength comes from. Our strength comes from the fact that God is faithful, not that we are faithful. You see? So does not human nature lead both to the pride of self-righteousness and the fear of destroying through our sin and failings the righteousness that saves us? So human nature can lead us to the pride of self-righteousness, thinking I do all these good works, I pray, I, I do all this great stuff, I'm such a great outstanding Christian, a, the pride of self-righteousness. And then the fear of destroying through our sin, if we slip up, we have a time of backsliding, we do something that we feel is contrary to God, we sin against him, and then we come down on ourselves because we feel that our sins and our failings have affected or destroyed the righteousness that saves us. But the fact is, it can't. Because Christ hasn't changed. God hasn't changed. He has remained faithful. So I'll ask the question again. When we sin or are unfaithful, do we affect the righteousness that saves us? Do we chip away at or jeopardize the integrity of the righteousness that saves us? No, a true believer has no power to affect or diminish or nullify the imputed righteousness that we have in Jesus Christ. I'll repeat that. A true believer has no power to affect or diminish or nullify the imputed righteousness that we have in Jesus Christ. Now, can we affect our walk with Christ? Absolutely. We can enter a time where 
we neglect prayer, we neglect being in the word, we, ne we neglect fellowship, we start to wander off the narrow path, we're drawn into the ways of the world, we may engage, start engaging in sinful lifestyle, rebelling against the Lord. Obviously, that's going to have a very detrimental effect on us. But that is us moving off the path. Christ is still on the path. He is still being faithful. So you have not affected the righteousness that saves us and sustains us and sanctifies us. You see? During those times, what you have to do is repent and come back to the narrow path. That's what's so important to understand. We are regenerated, we are saved, and we are blessed to believe by no power of our own. Look at 1 Corinthians 1, 30 through 31. But by his doing, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that just as it is written, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. Again, as Christ increases and we decrease, all of our boasting will be in him. And as we do that, we will be blessed in him more and more and more. Our faith is in God, who is immutable and faithful. He is the great I am. He has, he has always, is always, and will always be who he is. He is. His faithfulness and love are from everlasting to everlasting. This is why one of my most favorite verses from Scripture is Hebrews 13, 8. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. So regardless of what you're going through, regardless of the mistakes that you might make, regardless of waking up on the wrong side of the bed or whatever it is that's troubling you, realize that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. He says, I will never leave you or forsake you. He is always there for us. We cannot affect or diminish or hinder the righteousness of God. We cannot do it. Look at 2 Timothy 2.13. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. It is totally against his nature to not be faithful. Now, what I want you to realize is this is not an excuse to sin. Knowing that you can, you know, he's always there for us. We have to strive on the narrow path to be conformed to his image and to follow him and to walk with him. Knowing that he always remains faithful and that that righteousness that saves us can never be corrupted doesn't mean that we just take license and liberties to just live any way we want, thinking, well, I can go back to the path whenever I want. It's not a license to do that. It's not an excuse to sin. Bear this in mind. Being saved by grace and led by the Holy Spirit in sanctification, we strive to obey God's law, performing good works, and to be conformed to the image of Christ. That is the fruit that comes from walking with Christ. We will not desire to leave the narrow path. Does it happen sometimes? Yes, because Satan is relentless. He will do everything he can to try to trip us up. And the best defense against that is, again, like I said, a life of prayer, a life of the word, a life of fellowship, a life of communion with the Lord. But if you slip up, know that he is there for you. His righteousness is just like it was before, but it is not an excuse to sin. The point being, you will not want to sin or use that as an excuse if you are truly in Christ. You see?
There is not an excuse to sin. Being saved by grace and led by the Holy Spirit in sanctification, we strive to obey God's law, perform good works, and to be conformed to the image of Christ. Look at John 14, 15 through 17, where the Lord himself gives us a beautiful picture of what I'm talking about. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. We keep the commandments because we love the Lord. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. We don't have the power. Even though we love the Lord, we do not have the ability to obey his commands. So he has given us the Holy Spirit to empower us and to enable us and to guide us to obey his commands. Even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. So that's a picture there of how we walk with the Lord. We don't have the ability to do so. The Holy Spirit gives us the ability to do so. For myself, as a sinner, I trust in the one who became a substitute for me, the one to whom all I could bring is sin and who gave me a righteousness that was not my own and that I did not deserve. I trust in the Lord Jesus Christ and his righteousness. That is the view you need to have as a Christian. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this message today. And Lord, I ask that you would um, help each person that hears this message to, great, to, to better understand what it is to be blessed, to stand in your righteousness, to be clothed with your righteousness, to be washed clean of our, clean of our sins because of your precious blood and to stand in the righteousness that you cover us with. When we stand before you on Judgment Day, I know that I bring nothing deserving or that enables me to stand before you. All I can bring to the cross, all that I bring to Calvary is sin. And I know that you bless me with your righteousness because you took that sin and you nailed the debt for it to the cross and canceled it out. And because of that, I simply have to have faith and trust in you. And you will bless me with forgiveness and the ability to stand on judgment day, clothed in your righteousness. And what a glorious truth that is. And we just praise you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for watching today, folks. If you have any questions, please email me at the at chat at the way r122.org. Uh, like I mentioned the last couple of weeks, we have a sponsor now that is sponsoring the show, um, elephantwalk.net. And Elephant Walk is really about caring in every step that we take, and that's reflected in the quality of our products and the efforts that we put forth to combat, combat poverty and support wildlife conservation that our sales help support. Um, like I said before, this is a business that uh, my brother and I decided to start a year ago so that we could be more effective in helping people in developing nations uh, rise above poverty. Uh, we seek out artisans that are very gifted in what they do and help provide them business. We import their products and we sell them here in America. I'll be sharing more about this in the coming weeks, but please consider visiting elephantwalk.net. You can visit our website at the way, the letter r122.org. You can subscribe to the podcast at christianpodcastcommunity.org. Just 
go to that website and type in the way radio in the search field. There's also a lot of other great podcasts on there. We're on YouTube at the way ministry church, and please consider supporting the ministry. Uh, you can do so by going to the way, the letter R, R, R122.org. Just go to the donate page. And if the Lord leads you to support us monthly, that's always a huge blessing because it helps us know what we can plan for and how we can better uh, move into the opportunities that the Lord's opening up for us. All right. Thank you so much for watching today. We will be back here next week. All right. God bless you guys. Take care. Bye-bye.